We are joined in the studio by Anthony Opalka, historian for the city of Albany. Tony went to high school in Troy and has a perspective on the urban renewal of the 1960s. Tony, welcome to Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Thank you, David. In the 60s, you went to school on public transportation at the time that the collar factories were still open. Share something of your experience, and how did you, that lead you to become interested in history? Well, I guess even though I didn't actually grow up in Troy, I grew up across the river near Waterville. Um, I guess we walked all over because we didn't have a car growing up, and we either walked or took the bus. And what does a little kid do on the bus but look out the window or look around as you're walking? And my mother was also, um, she was from Albany, but she was a storyteller. So we learned all these stories of downtown Albany in probably starting in the 1920s. My grandparents still lived downtown into the 1960s, and we were there quite frequently. We used to walk to Troy. That was our downtown. And um, then going to high school, um, I learned about other places besides downtown Troy, you know, the, the Lansingburg and even, you know, South Troy because I went to a school that had students from all over the city and beyond. So we just, I just started learning about the city. And it's interesting that we talked earlier about um, public transportation and shirt factories. And um, they were all operating. The public transportation system was declining. So we often found ourselves on regular city buses instead of dedicated school buses. And I can remember, you know, I went to Catholic Central in Lansingburg, and with our um, uniform blazers, all the ladies that were getting on the bus um, from the shirt factories um, expected the boys to um, give up their seats, which we did. And um, every one of the factories, most of which are now becoming apartments, were actually operating factories at the time. So the bus used to stop at every one and there'd be a crowd of women, mostly women, um, probably some men, but I remember mainly women. And um, they were leaving their jobs in the shirt factories and going to other parts of the city where they lived. And uh, they were all operating and of course, one by one, um, I graduated from high school in 1970, and one by one after that, they um, closed up with Kluwitz, probably the most famous, but also the one that lasted the longest, and I think that lasted into the 1980s. Um, so there was quite a change in the economy. Um, you know, I was a high school kid, so what did I know? But it was actually happening during that time, but I probably wasn't fully aware of what was going on beyond what I saw. In addition to transportation and uh, employment and the changes that that brought about, the urban renewal strategies of the 60s altered all of those practices. And race has emerged as a, a great concern. Do you, do you think race had a factor in determining the 1960 urban renewal strategies? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think if we look at it realistically, the urban renewal statutes came about in the late 40s through the 50s. The Interstate Highway Act was passed in 1956. 
And um, those programs both serve to move white people out of the cities into the suburbs and um, leave behind people who were um, mostly, or not, I shouldn't say mostly, that's exaggerating, but um, many who were racial minorities and lower economic status, but they didn't have a choice to move to the suburbs for both discriminatory reasons and um, economic reasons as well. So you got a, a major change in the composition of the um, urban population. And also with the urban renewal programs, a lot of, you know, in, in the case of Troy, I remember vividly um, wandering around downtown Troy. That's what we did after school. and. Um, then in 1973, half of it was torn down. And the, as it was called then, the hole in the ground stayed around for five years before the atrium opened. And a lot of people just abandoned downtown Troy as a shopping destination as well. So, um, you know, and then of course what happened, I don't know starting when, the change in the um, downtown character with all the shops and restaurants that are there now quite a bit different from what I recall as, you know, growing up in, um, you know, next to the city and walking to downtown Troy. So what were the consequences of those decisions that we see today? Well, I think that, you know, if you look at the population of the um, cities of Troy, Albany, and Schenectady, they've gone down precipitously from you know, and Al Albany reached its highest population in 1950 with 130,000, and now, of course, it's under 100. And Troy, I don't know the statistics on Troy. I always thought growing up Troy was about 65,000, and now I'm sure it's well under 60, and Schenectady, I think, might have reached 80,000, and that's quite a bit lower. Um, and the jobs, the types of jobs that are available to people in the city, available uh, along public transportation, have changed too. The, you know, the, the people working in the shirt factories, they were union jobs and probably paid well enough to help support a family. Um, now those types of jobs are no longer even available in Troy. We've had Gary Nelson speak with us about the Hoosick Street uh, uh, development. That was something that exists and existed, but the community was able to respond, the Art Center and others, with the project Bridging the Divide and the, and the Uniting Line. If you know anything about that, you could speak to that. But it was a strategy from the community to respond to the consequences of those decisions. Yeah, and the consequences, you know, the, just the physical environment that um, was left after that development was completed is just kind of amazing. Um, you know, we come up, I mean, my recollection, we, we didn't really go up Hoosick Street much, um, you know, except during, you know, during high school, but it was a two-lane street, and now, you know, you get to Hoosick and River, and you're under the bridge, and then when you get up the hill a little bit, it's like eight lanes wide, and filled with traffic, and all of the stuff that is up in Brunswick now, all the shopping centers and so on, are the kinds of things that were available in downtown. So the people that, uh, you know, the, the physical environment was so changed, and the, um, 
the project with the uh, painting of the um, I can't even think of the word. The you know, <laughs> what's the word to hold up the bridge sections? You know, that's quite a an, an undertaking there, and it seems to you know help make the area look better. Although the social ramifications of it are still pretty um, very much there. What are other possible community responses that we can see today? Oh boy! <laughs> if I knew that, I'd know the meaning of life. <laughs> um, you know, it's a, it's a difficult thing. I mean, it has to really, you know, what do the people there want? Um, the people that are so affected in their daily lives, um, you know, trying to cross Hoosick Street to you know go to jobs or downtown or wherever. Um, you know, they're I, I judging from my own background is in planning and historic preservation, so I tend to look for, you know, sort of physical um, solutions, you know, how can you make it a better environment? But I think that's something that's really, really difficult to um, figure out. Across the country, there have been initiatives at light rail or also uh, removing asphalt areas. Is, is that a feasible option for this region? Well, light rail, I think, has been looked at and dismissed because of the capital investment involved you know the thing that's that's available now is the bus plus which is you know a cheaper much cheaper alternative to try to move people on the bus more quickly with fewer stops and you know dedicated lanes and all that which all of which hasn't come about yet but you know people have been talking about light rail and bike trails and so on forever so it's a much more difficult thing to implement. Tony, we have a, only have a few seconds left. Is there anything else you'd like to comment on? And we want to thank you for your presence today. Well, you're welcome. And I think that, you know, nobody, nobody can say Troy is unique in what has happened to it. You know, every city in the country had this type of uh, development that we're all trying to figure out what to do with. Thank you, Tony, for uh, talking with us today. Thank you. That was Anthony Alpaca, the historian for the city of Albany.